I'm Arya Schwartz, along with my co-host today, Rachel Galligan, and welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover different topics important to the W, using X's and O's along with key stats to bring honest and critical analysis. Rachel, welcome. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. It was a wild night last night. Very, very, very wild night. What was your favorite part of it? Um, Honestly... Uh, there's too many. My fav- personal favorite part was Courtney Williams' like deep three and one. Yeah, that was- I thought that was insane. <laughs> um, you know I'm on the the Courtney Williams hype train. And I've I've been hyping her up for a while, and I will continue to do so going into the off season and next year. R.I.P. Connecticut Sun. R.I.P. Um, yeah, Ooh, that was tough. But well, let, let's start. Let's start with L.A. and D.C. The early game. I mean. From tip to buzzer, Mm, just complete domination by Washington. And the thing was, I'm going to put this out in the beginning because I don't want to have to keep bringing this up every time. No team in the W, uh, except maybe the Aces, um, that was a joke, would use use travel as an excuse. So I I don't want to like say that the only reason this happened was because of travel. I do want to say that that definitely was an element that went into it, and the players we're noticeably exhausted. That's all I'll say about it. If you want to add something, add something. But like, I don't think, you know, look, you don't lose by 34 points, 32 points, whatever it was just because of that, you know, uh, so many things went wrong and, and, you know, Agler, Kenneth Parker, NECA, everybody after the game basically said the same thing. Yeah, obviously we're exhausted. And, but that's not the reason we lost by over 30 points. We lost by over 30 points because they beat us in every facet of the game. Right. Well, and, and I mean, it's, it's obvious. I mean, we're just talking about, we're, we're stating facts. Um, the Sparks were there less than a week ago. They flew back all the way to the West Coast, had a game, had to turn around, fin- finished up that game around 10 o'clock at night, turned around the next morning, and were, were on their way to the airport by 6.15 on uh, Wednesday morning, on their way back to DC. So, so I mean, you know, just, just like we're talking multiple time zones, we're talking multiple flights. I mean, just, just the effects that has on um, a normal person, let alone a professional athlete, you know, that, that's, that's definitely not easy. Um, But those are just facts. You know, those are things that they had to go through um, given the way everything panned out here. And it's, it's difficult. It's an advantage for the mystics. Um, They knew that going into it and it was going to take a lot for LA to overcome um, not just that, but, you know, the, the mentality of the wear and tear that that, that had on them. Um, Neka Agumake obviously was battling mono. Candace Parker had been sick. And so I think there were a lot of off-the-court factors that uh, maybe even sometimes sub- subconsciously um, can, can bring down the team's, I guess, energy, I guess, a little bit, if you will. But um, that being said, if you're, you know, when you're a competitor and, and it's playoff time, um, those things you have to try to ignore. And as a coaching staff, um, you don't bring them up. You don't address it because you're exactly right. Everybody in the league has had to face travel like this um, since like May. <laughs> so um, yeah. everybody's exhausted. Everybody's got injuries. Everybody's battling some sort of ailment. And so, um, no, I mean, it, I think that's completely fair for the Sparks to to say, hey, like, yeah, it happened, but it, that's not the reason we lost. I mean, you, you could look across the entire stat sheet. I mean, just, just complete domination. Um, you know, Washington shot close to 60%, 60% on the game. They shot 57% versus LA shooting just 34. I mean, that's like. At, at a point it was 20. 
at one point there was 20%. I mean, that's, that's like, that is not <laughs> the LA team that kind of we've, you know, it, it more times than not, maybe not necessarily this year are accustomed to seeing, I mean, they, um, they destroyed them on the boards um, by about seven or eight. I think it was, um, you know, they, they turned them over 13 times. Washington turned over LA 13 times. So I just, the game got out of hand very quickly. Um, and really, I mean, LA honestly looked like a little bit of a shell of themselves. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, th- this was the, I don't want to like use big terms like embarrassing or disgraceful or whatever, but this was like by far the worst loss I've seen LA have in recent memory. They've had some bad losses uh, in, in the time that I've been covering or watching the league, but, but in, in recent memory, this was, was by far the worst. I mean, Candace Parker had 14 points, I believe at some point in the first half, uh, she ends with 16 and she's the only player who hits double digits. Yeah. No one has, no one gets more rebounds than her with eight. So when, if your best player is dropping 16 and eight, and that's by far the best stat line, you got issues. Yeah, um, not going to happen. Well, and then, I mean, you throw in NECA in there who goes two for 10. She finishes with eight. That's not very NECA like, um, talk about Chelsea Gray who, who just the night before went off and, and was kind of the, the hero and in, in the win against the Lynx. I mean, we know what Chelsea Gray can do and she was going to have to bring that probably every game in these playoffs for the Sparks to be successful. Uh, you know, she goes two for 11 uh, finishing with seven points. So you just, you know, what, whether it's, they ran out of gas, whether it was a mental aspect of it, I don't know, but um, just from the jump, I mean, Washington jumped out 27, 16 after the first quarter and, and it was it was Dunzo after that. Oh yeah, and and the thing is, like both these teams are not known for pushing the pace. They're they're very bottom of the league in pace. But what Washington did was, hey, we know that uh, that's that's you know a weakness, if you will, of both of ours. But I think both teams have the ability to push the pace. Cause LA with more because of their athletic ability. Washington just their style of players and their youth. But something that stands out to me that I want to throw out there is. The assists. Now, they. I'm pretty sure in the post game, uh, Tebow talked about this, saying that uh, you know this was a, a team record in the playoffs for most assists, possibly out of playoffs also. But looking down the starting five, four assists, three assists, four assists, nine assists, seven assists. When you have your guards dropping 16 assists between the two of them, along with nine rebounds and over 20 points, that's a great sign. They. They pushed the ball. They were feeding the ball. It was, it honestly very much so looked like what I'm used to seeing from the Sparks, where you push, you get the ball to the other side of the court, and all of a sudden the ball's just flowing around. And there was never a stagnant point where the ball kind of got stuck anywhere. Um, and if it did, Christy Tolliver and Natasha Cloud had no problem uh, creating something on their own. Well, I mean, whether it's sharing the ball, obviously the, the assist numbers were great. Those were tremendous. It finished with 28. Um, but so much of that had to do with the, people were making shots. Now, were they hot or was L.A. just not defending? Because another another part of this, too, L.A. is the top defensive team in the league. I think. Well, talk, talk to me about this. What do you think it was? For me, it was a combo. In the beginning, L.A.'s defense was there, and and the, the Mystics were just nailing everything. Everything was going in. It wasn't like they were getting cheap shot calls or anything. Everything was going in, and then as that happened and L.A., couldn't respond and Agler spoke about this in the post game when LA when they couldn't respond after that it kind of got to a point where you maybe get a little mental and you get in your head and you're like well they're making everything 
uh, that's happening today. We're not making yep. any. That's exactly what it was. You know, um, well, I mean, LA's used to giving up 77 points a game. They gave up 96. I mean, it was just, well, you know, chalk it up to one of those nights where nothing was going well. Um, I know it is, you know, being in those settings where your opponent's knocking down every shot, um, they're feeling it, they're moving the ball, they're, they're, everything's kind of going their way. It's extremely difficult to come up with stops and it's extremely difficult to come up with consecutive stops. Um, I mean, we saw that the other night with, with Phoenix Mercury, you know, against the Dallas Wings. I mean, they, they were, they were out of their minds, just throwing stuff off the backboard and, and Dallas just, just kind of crumbled, you know, they, they couldn't come up with stops and it just shows that really nobody is immune to that when it, when a team is feeling it um, and, and they're knocking down shots and, and they've, they've got rest and, and then they, they've got the energy momentum behind it, which clearly Washington did. It was uh it was going to be detrimental to LA, even the best defensive team in the league. So I, I agree with you. I think it's a, I think it's a combination of both. I'm bringing it back. It's playoff times. We got to bring out all the stops. Uh, Phoenix in Connecticut, a repeat of the same matchup last year, same place, same round, same result. Uh, it was a little bit closer this time. And I, I caution fans, do not look at the final score. That 10-point lead, that 10-point win does not explain how close this game was. Rachel, I know you were paying a little bit closer attention to it because I was in D.C., so I was only able to tune in uh, come second half. I did rewatch the first half. But talk to me about Phoenix because then I, I just want to focus on Courtney Williams. I mean, it was a, it was a, a back-and-forth game. I mean, both, both teams came out swinging. I mean, and I think we all kind of knew this was going to be a – a heavyweight matchup between the two. Um, Phoenix's big, big three of, you know, Bonner, Griner, and Tarazi. Bonner finishes with 23. Griner and Tarazi both finish with 27. Uh, when, when those three show up and they're doing that, I mean, that's like, you can't even like put that into words. That's that, that's the, the, the level that those three are playing at right now. Um, the points they're putting up there, what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's going to be so difficult to stop. But at the same time, Connecticut hung in there. You know, I mean, it was, it was coming down to the last like minute and a half. And I remember like, I like, I was on Twitter and tweeting something. I don't know what it was, but like my heart was legitimately like pounding out of my chest. Like, Oh my God, this is going to be um, just, just like hell of a finish, you know? And, and you kind of kept looking at Connecticut, you know, Courtney Williams came up and was just, she hit that and one, you know, she knocked down that three, got fouled for that four point play. And you were like, that was my favorite moment. Yeah, of the, the night place last is night. going wild. Then she came, then she comes back down, knocks down another shot, and so you kind of got the sense like, all right, Courtney Williams is gonna um, kind of like come up big here down the down the stretch. Are they gonna have enough to kind of pull through um, and get over the hump of this? And it, they were so close. I mean, you know, it was a ten point difference at the end of the game, but realistically, I mean, th- this game count came down to just a couple possessions down the stretch. Where uh, I think there was one possession right down at the end where Connecticut had multiple looks at the basket within the final, I think it was like 50 seconds of the game where they, you know, they, they took a shot, missed it, got it back to got another one. I mean, if that goes in and say they get a stop, I mean, we have a completely different outcome here, but um, I mean, this was a heavyweight matchup. It's, it's, it's really um, to me, to me, it's, it's sad that Connecticut is out because they are so good and they, they, they truly have what it takes to go win this entire thing. But you know, they, they fell victim to just the, the playoff format, the single elimination game in that second round, which that's a whole other debate I think we could have. I think I speak for a ton of people that 
I, I wish this this was a series of like at least at least a three game series because it was that competitive, it was that good, um, and we haven't even gotten into what happened with with Jasmine Thomas, Courtney Williams, and Diana Tarazi down the stretch. Um, it was just a great game. It was a great game and like one that I genuinely wish that like it wouldn't end. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. I do want to chime in real quick as there's been a lot of talk about this and we spoke about it before we started recording. There's been a lot of talk about expanding the playoffs. And while I agree, something that dawned on me is if we add in a three game series from game, round one, round two, then we go back to five and five. You're possibly looking at a 16 game playoff for some of these teams, which is essentially half of the WNBA season. So a team that goes through the wild card would be possibly paying, playing a season and a half, which is mind-boggling. So the real question, we talked about this, the real question is what's going to come first, expand the playoffs, expand the regular season, expand the roster, or expand the teams? Uh, to me, it's a fine line of how you're going to expand so that you can also uh, – you know, not damage the product. So something that, that you get, you really got to think about when, I mean, it's easy for us uh, from the outside looking in to say, oh, expand, expand, expand. But there are many elements that it would take. Um, all right, real quick. Well, what's your thought on the whole Diana Taurasi uh, clap back, if well, you will? Well, just, just hold on real quick. But back to the comment that you yeah. said, I, I definitely understand that. I mean, this year, I mean, everything is so condensed. It's like fitting as much as we can into like this tiny little like, pickle jar of what we're trying to do here uh, with, with this 2018 WNBA season. So I understand how different the different formats would be. And as much as we, we love, we love it. We wish we could have more of it. We wish we could have a longer um, playoff series. We, we wish we could just have more of it in general. It, it, that's impossible, at least right now uh, with the limitations on season, with the limitations on uh, travel, those types of things. So I, I definitely understand that aspect of it. My point was, I just wish the, you know, in a game like that, in a second round playoff matchup that we could, we, we did have enough time or uh, the, the ability to, to stretch that out a little bit longer, or at least, at least maybe potentially reformatting it. But again, that's a completely different um, conversation. Back to Tarazi, wh what are my thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> um, I thought it was great. I really did. I mean, I didn't see the initial clap, clapping at, uh, by Jasmine Thomas at her. So I wasn't quite sure what was like going on at the end of the game. Everything kind of happened. And obviously Tarazi is Tarazi and she did what she did. And um, she is like clapping at the end of the game. And I see her like obviously cussing, doing typical Tarazi stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't really shocked with that, but at the same time I was like, what, is, what the hell is going on here? Um, and then the Holly Rowe interview took place. Um, and then everything kind of like, I was like, okay, well, this is crazy. And I think I speak for everybody where everyone like ran to social media to figure out what the, what the hell was going on. And obviously, oh, obviously we figured it out shortly after that, that Courtney Williams had made a post with a photo um, kind of getting hype in front of Tarazi's face. And someone had shown that to Tarazi or she'd seen it, obviously using it as motivation. And then she called it out in the, uh, the post-game interview with Holly, basically saying like, I mean, I'm just going to add a little bit here, basically saying like, hey, you know, you can clap in people's faces, you can post stuff on social media, but it's not going to get you to win. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, classic Diana Tarazi moment, especially when she did what she did. And I think she's now 13-0 and in elimination situations, which is just insane to me. Um, and I should hang my head that I even considered going against her and when predicting that, that game last night. I did pick the sun. <laughs> um, but... 
yeah, I mean, the whole thing was, was great, great entertainment. And, and I think it just, it just speaks volumes to Diana Tarazi, what she's doing, the level that she can elevate her game to the, the competitor that she is. I mean, like her, don't like her, agree with it, don't agree with it, whatever it is. I mean, she was not going to be defeated last night. There's no question about it. Oh, she was she was in prime Dana mode. It's funny, we were texting um during the game and after the game, and I I don't care what people say, I have no problem with what Courtney Williams and Jasmine Thomas did. Like at, at the end of the day, you're hyping yourself up. I know there's the argument to be made of like, don't give Diana that extra oomph, that extra whatever that will make her go into super sane mode, if you will. But to me, it's like you have to have that confidence of being able to beat her in super sane mode if you're going to move on to win a championship. At the end of the day, what we learned in my mind today or yesterday was that Connecticut is a really, really good team. They are not at that point yet. Maybe if it was a series and it's out of five or out of three, they win the series. Maybe. But that's not where we're at, and and they're not at that point yet where they can have a player. I mean, they had a player just go in and take over. Um, But the way that this team was built, I think Kurt Miller's got some big decisions to make when it comes to what you're going to do with John Quell and Shanae. And you know where I stand on this. Drop Shanae, trade Shanae. She's got a huge contract, arguably, from what I've read, the largest contract in the league. You're a Connecticut team that, to be quite frank, doesn't need her. You could get some great trade value from her. Um, so, you know, I that, that's where I stand. I, I think the whole clapping thing, like when you get a hard elbow to the body and a foul called on the person who gave you the elbow, I totally understand clapping. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't see anything wrong with it. But I do love that we're at a point. Now, I know Diana has always done this, so don't don't come at me. But we're at a point where – Players can feel comfortable enough to, you know, let their personalities shine through. And that's always been something that I think has resonated with fans when it comes to Diana Taurasi. Why? Yes, it's because she has all these records. Yes, it's because she's an amazing, ridiculous baller. But to me, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why so many fans who don't follow women's basketball know who she is and respect her so is because of her personality and I think we saw a similar thing with uh, with Liz Cambage this year. And I hope we see more players feeling the ability and the comfortable comfortableness, comfortability, <laughs> if you will, um, uh, to kind of be themselves and be out there and be themselves and be vocal and be themselves. Um, okay. Yeah. What are your well, thoughts on that? There's a couple of things that you're hitting on here. Uh, first and foremost, when when, when it comes to Connecticut, um, I I disagree. I disagree with. Um, kind of your take on just uh, Ogumpe and the roster and things like that. I, I, I love, I love the Connecticut team. I love the way they're built. I love that they are not a two or a three headed monster um, that they have kind of a very um, well-versed type of team that has the capability of anyone can go off any given night. Um, and I think you've got someone in Courtney Williams who has that clutch gene uh, maybe it's still continuing to be developed and be elevated or whatever it may be. But Courtney Williams is an incredible competitor. Um, and what she what she was doing last night and, and her, her trying to take over in those final moments, I mean, it was – now she missed an easy shot that had she made that, maybe the outcome was different. Uh, but I love Connecticut's roster as a whole. Um, I'm even a fan of Jones coming off the bench, uh, which is probably not a very popular take. 
But, you know, as a coach, sometimes those types of moves with a certain type of player, and I've never coached the Connecticut Sun, I'm not going to claim to. So I don't know the ins and outs of their dynamic and why those decisions are made. But you have seen decisions like that transpire the benefit that the betterment of the team for whatever reason that may be. But I love the Connecticut. I love the Connecticut roster. I love what Kurt Miller's done with them. Um, to me, it, it's, it's what, what, what happened with them in the middle of the season with, with some of the drama and they hit that major lull um, and they kind of went on that, that losing streak and were really battling a bunch of things. You know, they started really hot. They hit that lull uh, where they lost a bunch of games and it really kind of, deflated them and then they kind of built themselves back up and had a chip on their shoulder and they were they were doing more of those Connecticut Sun type things we're used to um, to me they're they're a dangerous team they're a team that's still coming into their own under this regime of Kurt Miller and what they're what they're doing I don't think they need to make a ton of changes <laughs> oh I know I, I agree with that yeah. I definitely agree with that you don't yeah. need to make a ton but I, and I, and know, maybe they may, maybe a couple, um, may, maybe so. Um, that might be what they decide to do. But God, I, I just you can't help but wonder. Like, had they not hit that big lull in the season and maybe had a higher seed, where now they're playing in a series, like they're a series team. If they can play kind of best out of three, best out of five type of situation, like to me, I, I think that that really benefits them. So the fact that this happened to be a single elimination game against the Phoenix Mercury, it was kind of like a you have to have luck. You know, you ha- as a team, as a, as, a, as a coaching staff, if you're going to go win a championship, you can, there's only so much you can do with the roster. There's only so much you can do with, um, you know, certain things, X's and O's wise. You have to be able to fall in line with some luck. Um, luck, luck with the draw, luck of location, luck of, you know, the stars aligning that night and you making shots, luck with calls. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I, th- I think they got kind of unlucky in terms of just the draw that they got. Um, and, and honestly, it came down to just a possession or two in those final, those final minute, that final minute and a half that could have made the difference. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You hit it, you hit it on the head. One thing I do want to say is it seems like our honeymoon period of us agreeing uh, is over. <laughs> but I do agree with you about the comment about letting these players be themselves. I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be All an right. advocate about that. And I think it's so great um, to, to showcase those personalities. I mean, I, what, what are we going to sit here and say like, Oh, we're, we're supposed to be ladies. We're supposed to everybody be like, that's not realistic. That's not life. That's not real. Um, so I, I love Diana Tarazi's personality, her competitiveness. Like you don't always have to agree with her cussing somebody out in the stands, but you have to respect her as a competitor and what she's done for the game and, and, and what the, the teammate that she's been with her, you know, everybody, everybody that she's played with. Same thing with Liz Cambage. I mean, she's a big time personality with a big time heart that's out there. And sometimes that's going to ruffle people's ruffle people's feathers the wrong way. And that, that's totally okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you on that aspect of showcasing the personalities, getting it out there uh, because that's what, that's what this is about, you know, uh, allowing women, um, allowing um, young girls, um, allowing, you know, who, who look to them as role models to be themselves, um, to be um, who they truly are as a competitor on and off the floor, all those sorts of things. So I'm, I'm always a big advocate for that. And I, I love all the different personalities that we get to see in this league. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I do want to real quickly, we'll do a little social media second spotted on Liz Cambage's <laughs> social media before she flew out. Uh, she was hanging out with former head coach Fred Williams. So the rumors, it's not just rumors. They are close. He was a big reason that she came back. um, And she's spoken about that a lot, but they are still friends and they are still close. And 
keep that in mind moving forward when we find out whether or not she's staying in the league uh, or she's going to keep being that comment. This has been the WNBA Insider Show. I'm Aria Schwartz. The amazing other person is Rachel Galligan. Make sure to follow us. We cover you, cover the WNBA every week with different episodes, important topics. Make sure to tune in.